0: The FT.
1: Hello, I'm James Blitz, FT leader writer. This is a special podcast which is looking at the political situation in the UK following the Conservative and Labour Party conferences that have been taking place over the last two weeks. We still have the Liberal Democrat conference to take place next week, but with a general election just eight months away, the political situation in the UK is getting pretty hot. With me in the studio is Michael Stott, the UK news editor, and on the line from Westminster, Karen Stacey, our political correspondent. Michael, we've come to the end of a week which saw a, a very tough and passionate speech by David Cameron, the UK Prime Minister, who's looking to get an absolute majority at the next general election. It went down pretty well, didn't it? It was one of his most effective performances as leader for some time. That's right, James. It was well received by the party Faithful
0: and by the newspapers that support the Conservative Party. I think you saw in it very clearly laid out the Conservative strategy for the next election. They're going to go in very hard on their traditional ground of tax cuts and restrictions on welfare and immigration. And they're going to attack Labour extremely hard on two things, their leader, Ed Miliband, who came in for a lot of very harsh personal criticism from the Prime Minister and other speakers, and also on Labour's economic record. And the message will essentially be, don't give the keys back to the people who crashed the car.
1: Kieran, uh, in Westminster, David Cameron's speech was remarkable because it had two Very big tax cut promises in it, did it not? Both a raising of the the threshold for people on lower incomes uh, who pay tax and also for people on higher incomes around between 40 and 50,000. That was quite a remarkable promise by him, wasn't it? What, What was the effect and intention of that?
2: That's right. David Cameron essentially threw the kitchen sink at his speech this week. We weren't expecting quite so much policy. I wonder whether he was actually expecting to put so much policy in. We were left wondering afterwards, what more left does he have in his locker to be able to unveil before the election? They're two quite costly tax promises. What more can he do? The effect has definitely been to galvanise the troops and also to knock the stuffing further out of Labour. They had a poor conference and I've just bumped into a Labour front bencher wandering around Westminster looking very despondent. Not because they think David Cameron's pulled off a masterstroke, but just because they can understand quite how popular what he's saying sounds. The question really for the Tories is whether the fact that these are unfunded tax cuts starts to undermine their case to be the party of fiscal responsibility. That's something that we were arguing is a risk, certainly in the FT today. And I think that that might become more of a theme over the next few days.
1: Michael what do you think of that do you think that David Cameron and George Osborne have undermined the Conservatives reputation for economic competence I suppose they could afford to couldn't they because they're so far ahead of Labour so they could show a bit of leg so to speak but have they come up with a set of cuts which really are impractical and and, and difficult to implement
0: I think the key to understanding those cuts James is, is in the timetable for their delivery and the fine print, as always, contains a few surprises, not least among them the fact that these cuts are likely to be loaded towards the back end of the next Parliament and won't be fully implemented until 2020. So the £7.2 billion figure that you've seen as the cost of these cuts is only £7.2 billion when they're fully implemented. The cost will be considerably less in the first years, which are the years when they hope to um, be concentrating still on reducing the deficit. I think It remains true that the biggest risk to their plans for the economy over the next five years is the health of the economy and the strength of growth. And clearly, any slowdown in growth or even a move back towards recession would throw all of these plans off course. But then, to be fair, that would probably have been the case anyway, with or without the tax cuts, which in the context of overall cuts are not huge. You have to think in in this parliament, we've had 100 billion pounds of spending cuts so set against that a 7.2 billion commitment is not enormous although of course you wouldn't think so from looking at the headlines today
1: let's both of you look more broadly and and try and set the scene for next may's general election kieran in westminster as you look at the parties now we've had a coalition in the uk for the last four years the conservative liberal democrat coalition and now you've got ed Miliband and labor trying to get back into government How do things look at the moment? Do you think it's likely that David Cameron will be able to come back into number 10, leading a conservative majority, as he said in his speech he would like to do? Or do you think it's much more difficult for him? How do you see the scene?
2: It's certainly not likely, I wouldn't say. The problem for David Cameron, apart from anything else, is just the sheer mass of it. He and his party need a much bigger lead than Labour do to get to that magical majority number. It is much more difficult for him to do that, of course, especially when UKIP are threatening to take away 8, 9, 10% of of his vote. Yes,
1: UKIP being the right-wing party which wants the UK to leave Europe immediately.
2: That's right. So the, the UK Independence Party has been gradually climbing up the polls. It is now in the teens in most of the polls. It is above the Lib Dems. Most people expect it to fall back down again. but. The thing with UKIP voters this time around, they've had peaks before, but each time their supporters have gradually flaked off back to the Conservatives. This time around, they've built a much bigger coalition of voters, and these voters are telling us they're more likely to stay with the party. So if they were to get to 9 or 10%, it's going to be really, really difficult for David Cameron to win a majority, no matter how popular his message is on tax. Far easier for Ed Miliband, but again, the problem is Ed Miliband's struggling to get above about 30 4-35% in the polls and most people expect that to be eroded a bit as we get closer to the election day.
1: Michael, it is an extraordinarily fragmented scene. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen Britain going towards a general election with such fragmentation, with the right split on the one hand between the Conservatives and UKIP, with the centre-left on the other hand with a really rather lacklustre leader, and with the Liberal Democrats looking very weak indeed. Plus you've got all sorts of things going on in Scotland Which are that the with Labour Party is is losing its support there to the SNP. How do you see it? I mean, we're very likely, aren't we, to be moving towards a hung parliament in 2015. Would you agree with that?
0: I think that's true, James. It it is an extraordinarily fragmented picture. We've only just got used to sort of three party politics and, and coalition politics but I think we're now going to have to get used to something even more complicated after the next election. When, if you look at the arithmetic, you're facing a situation where neither of the two main parties is likely to win an overall majority, but it's also perfectly possible that even with the Liberal Democrats, who, let's not forget, are likely to lose at least half their seats, even with the Liberal Democrats, neither of them may be able to form an overall majority. And then you've got to start looking at either minority governments ad hoc arrangements or sort of backroom deals with the likes of um, the SNP or the Ulster parties, which is going to make things uh, extraordinarily complicated for the next government.
1: And I suppose one of the things, Michael, that's really happened in, in the last two weeks is that if Ed Miliband had put on a very strong performance at his conference, he might have boosted the possibility of Labour actually winning with an overall majority, because that is where politics was tending up till then. But he's rather flunked it, hasn't he?
0: I think it was very surprising, shall we say, how um, badly that speech was received. Even by the delegates in the hall, some of his own MPs sat there rather stony-faced without applauding and the party faithful were really dismayed. I mean, it was a very important speech for him. It was a chance for him to show his credentials as a leader, to convince his own troops and rally them, and to convince the country to see him as a leader. And unfortunately, I think one has to say on all those counts, he failed. People did not file out of that hall believing that they were going to win an election. I think at the Conservative conference, you saw a speech from a leader who exuded competence and confidence in equal measure and came across as a pretty powerful effective leader whatever you might think of his his politics or his personality
1: just one final sort of thought from both of you let's assume that the uk Is now moving after the next election to a period where no party has a majority and we effectively have a minority government in Britain because it's impossible to form a coalition of the kind that was formed in 2010. Kieran, will that matter, do you think? Do you think that Britain can afford in the next three or four years to just stumble along in that kind of situation? I mean, the the situation with the deficit at least is in a better position than it was, or, or do you think it's going to create a crisis of sorts?
2: Well, I don't think it'll be an immediate crisis. It's not the same as 2010 when the new government, or rather after the last election, the parties all got together. And they they were basically confronted with a situation where unless they formed a new government within days, it could have been that the bond markets started punishing Britain and interest rates started rising very sharply. We're not in that position now. We do have more confidence out on the international debt markets. But if this situation goes on for several years, if we have something like we did in 1974, where you have more than one election in a very short space of time, you're going to end up with a real lack of direction for the country. And at a time when the recovery is still not entirely cemented, when other countries are climbing very quickly out of recession and and posing a challenge to Britain, at a time when also there are multiple threats on the global stage, it would be very difficult basically not to have a government that can lead at all. But that's not to say that that's necessarily what a coalition can be. I think this government has proved the coalition actually can be quite radical in certain ways. And if the parties get their act together, they can prove this time that coalitions really can work in the long time.
1: Michael, a last thought from you. How do you see it if we enter this period of unstable government in Britain in the next few years?
0: I think one does have to remember the next government will face some quite difficult challenges. Kieran referred to this of international security threats. Of course, you've also got the Eurozone tipping back into recession, our biggest trading partner, slowdowns in emerging markets, continued instability in global financial markets. And we get warnings about that periodically from the Bank of England. And then you've got some very difficult constitutional questions for the next government to grapple with. They have to sort out the situation of Scotland. They also have to sort out what they do for the rest of the UK and this whole issue of English votes for English laws that the Prime Minister raised. So I think, you look across all of that and say it's it's going to be a very difficult job for the next government even if it was a strong government with a big majority if it's a government that doesn't have that it's going to be just enormously complicated
1: well thank you for that we're clearly entering a period of certainly very interesting but in some ways quite dispiriting politics in the uk michael stott uk editor in london and kieran stacy political correspondent in westminster thank you very much
0: for more downloads go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.